Working together as a multidisciplinary team, surgeons are able to give the patient the best outcomes in the case of cleft lip and palate reconstruction. Who are all of the specialists that make up the team, and what are their roles? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Fernando Burstein, Clinical Associate Professor of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery at Emory School of Medicine, and the Medical Director for the Center for Craniofacial Disorders at the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Welcome, Dr. Burstein. Thank you. Today we are discussing the surgical approach for treating adolescents with cleft lip and cleft palate. Dr. Burstein, review with us, please. What is a cleft lip and what is a cleft palate? Cleft lip and palate are a very common congenital malformation. And what essentially happens is a failure of fusion or welding of the lip muscles and often the gum as well as palate resulting in a cleft. And how do these children look when they're born? They have what looks like a hole under the nose going all the way back to the uvula. And are there variations in cleft lip and cleft palate? There are variations. You can have unilateral, you can have bilateral, you can have variations within that in that you may have a unilateral cleft lip and no cleft palate or a cleft lip with cleft palate, etc. And is this something that's common? It's actually a very common finding. It occurs approximately one in a thousand births. There is some increased prevalence in Asians, some decreased prevalence in African Americans, but that's the general percentage. When we see this, do you always treat it straight away? You don't treat it straight away. The thing that we do is we certainly do a full evaluation of the child and then begin the series of repairs at approximately 10 to 12 weeks of age with the lip. Now, when you say a full evaluation, what are you evaluating? Well, there are about 250 to 350 different conditions that can accompany cleft lip and palate. So it's very important to have a full evaluation, including genetics, of each one of these children. Why is that? Because you may find that the child has a heart defect, has a chromosomal abnormality, and other serious problems that need to be addressed as well. Do all children with cleft lip and palate have some other associated disorder? No. So, assuming that they do not, then you will proceed as you mentioned before? Correct. If everything else checks out and there are no other pressing health issues, then we will proceed with the cleft lip closure generally at around three months of age, the cleft palate closure at around six months of age. Why do you wait? You could theoretically do this right away, but we feel that it's important for the parents to become informed with the condition, for the child to get a little older, a little bit stronger, have good nutrition, and have formed a bond with their family. And generally, by the time they're 10 to 12 weeks of age, we are in pretty good shape uh, psychologically and physically, and uh, the parents have been well indoctrinated and taught the care and the subsequent things that are going to be going on for many, many years as we continue to follow these families. Well, what happens if you don't do anything with this? I have patients from overseas that have never had anything done, and there are obvious problems with speech because the palate can't close off the nose. There are also psychological problems from the appearance, many times problems in terms of oral hygiene, eating in public, etc., which can be quite disabling. Are there problems with infections or sinusitis or other associated disorders? Not any more than would occur in the, in the general population. 
And what is the oldest patient that you have seen untreated with a cleft lip and palate? I had a man who was 50 years old and had not had his palate repaired. If someone is that 50-year-old man, can you still approach that patient surgically as you do the child? You certainly can. The real question is repairing the palate on someone that is not a child is whether you will be able to reverse speech patterns. And when you talk about speech patterns, what exactly are you referring to? The hypernasal speech that accompanies an open palate, too much air coming out the nose. Can this be changed at all with physical therapy or speech therapy? We recommend speech therapy. And the reason why the palate is fixed so early at six months nowadays versus up to five years of age in the old days is because patients will develop maladaptive speech behaviors if the palate is not treated before they have become mature. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Fernando Burstein, clinical associate professor of plastic and reconstructive surgery at Emory School of Medicine and the medical director for the Center for Craniofacial Disorders at the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. We are discussing a surgical approach treating adolescents with cleft lip and palate. Dr. Burstein, what has been the traditional treatment? for cleft lip and palate? For the last several decades, the American Cleft Lip and Palate Association has uh, recommended and recognized teams of specialists to treat children with cleft lip and palate. And when you say teams, what do you mean? Teams that are comprised of surgeons, otolaryngologists, plastic surgeons, craniofacial surgeons, dentists, speech therapists, psychologists, social workers, and geneticists in most cases to be able to evaluate and give comprehensive care to these children. Now, years ago when this was done, did they have teams then as well? They had usually one or two people that were involved, and as the care has become more sophisticated, more team members have been added. And how did you get into this type of surgery? My original training was in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery, and we saw some of the ear problems that children had with cleft lip and palate. Then I had the opportunity to work with some of the pioneers in craniofacial surgery when I was at UCLA and became very interested, and the rest is history. Ten years later, I was done. And who were those pioneers? Paul Tessier, who was essentially the father of craniofacial surgery from France, used to visit us in UCLA and come to operate on the children. Also work with a very famous craniofacial surgeon, my mentor, Henry Kalamoto, at UCLA, so I had an opportunity to be exposed to some of the early founders of the specialty. And have things changed from years ago in terms of how we approach this today? I think the technology is far superior now than it was 20 years ago. What specifically? Specifically, the use of absorbable plates and screws, where we used to use little pieces of wire. We can now use very, very rigid, very reliable methods of fixating bone and that allows us to move pieces of the craniofacial skeleton with much more safety. Why does the absorbable nature of those screws make a difference in terms of safety? In the last five to ten years, there's been an increasing trend going away from metallic implants, especially in children, because many times the metallic implants can become embedded in the bone and can actually go through the bone. They can cause problems with infection or pain later on. Therefore, using absorbable techniques really eliminates all of these late problems. Has this been a significant problem in the past? It has. 
And what kind of components are you using now as opposed to metal? Well, everything is now manufactured from a polylactic acid uh, type of substance that can be poured or machined into whatever shape is desired by the craniofacial surgeon. So everything from plates and screws to devices to distract pieces of the craniofacial skeleton, it can now be made from absorbable materials. And how long does it take for these to absorb? Depending on the particular formulation, they begin to absorb uh, within eight weeks and are usually completely gone in nine to 12 months. Now, when you see a child and you're planning to do surgery for this problem, who's the quarterback of the team? Typically the surgeon. And you, being the surgeon, would put together everyone you wanted? Yes. And the evaluation that you spoke about before, how long does that take to get a child ready for surgery? I always tell the parents that the first visit is going to be long and painful. We have 11 different team members and specialties that will give the initial evaluation for the patient. Now, 11 different members. When you say 11, I'm having trouble thinking, what 11 members would you have? Well, just to start out with, we have myself, speech, social work, nursing, dental practitioners, including a orthodontist, a pediatric dentist, et cetera, et cetera. And we can go on up to the neurosurgeon, whoever is needed to take care of the particular problem. Once we are able to eliminate certain problems, then the team that can see the patient subsequently is much smaller. But initially, the evaluation, we feel, has to be quite thorough. So in other words, on every patient who is a surgical candidate, they start out with that 11-member team? They start out with a, a large screening team. And generally speaking, who do they end up with? Generally speaking, if it's an uncomplicated cleft lip and palate, they will see myself, the speech therapist, and the orthodontist as well as the dentist for many years. And how often do you see these problems? The associated problems? Yes. Probably 20 or 30% of the time. In a craniofacial center such as ours, it takes all comers. Is it something that requires a lengthy operation to do? Well, typically the usual cleft lip and or palate operation takes about an hour. And what about the other specialists who might have to do their surgical intervention? We try to coordinate with our ENT practitioners as well as a dentist, and typically a child will come in if they need to have pressure equalization tubes placed, they're placed at the time of the lip and palate surgery. So we don't really add too much to the operative time. Now, the techniques other than the materials that have changed in the past years, are they better now than they were in the past? You know, I think that the fathers of cleft lip and palate surgery did such a great job in developing that although they've been refined, they haven't changed too much over the last few decades. How do the children tolerate this procedure? They do great. And are they in the hospital for a long period of time? Typically with a cleft lip, it's overnight only. And with a cleft palate, it's one or two nights. Now compare that to years ago when we used to operate on this. How long did the children stay at that time? A week. So what accounts for the major difference in time from going from a week to overnight or one day? Tougher children? I don't <laughs> think so. I think what it is is that we are using, for example, instead of having to remove the stitches, we're using absorbable stitches. The anesthesia is much better, and the procedure, once you become familiar with it, can be done much quicker. We're also not afraid to let the children eat and drink sooner. So we've overcome a lot of taboos, which allow for a much quicker recovery. Is this something that is painful for the children? The cleft lip is not particularly painful. The cleft palate is a little bit more problematic. And what's the success rate? Typically, we have an excellent success rate. We have to reoperate on approximately 5 to 10% of the children, but it's usually not a major reoperation. And finally, if you had a wish list 
in terms of what you would like to see developed in terms of technology for this? What would it be? I think for cleft lip and palate, I would like to see us be able to do the techniques using perhaps a welding type of apparatus rather than sutures, more tissue glues rather than sutures to leave fewer scars, which we're beginning to work on. There's a long way to go. And do you think that that's a realistic possibility? I do. I want to thank Dr. Fernando Burstein, who has been our guest. We have been discussing a surgical approach treating adolescents with cleft lip and palate. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.